Amen. Good morning, church. So glad you're here. Zach, I'm glad you're here. Of all the people on staff, you're one of them. Okay. Hey, um, you know, as, as we uh, enter week two of this sermon series, you know, Dan started last week with the question that Jesus asked Bartimaeus and James and John, what do you want me to do for you? And so this is week two. And I also want to, you know, encourage you, pray for Dan. He and his family are on vacation. And just pray that it would just be a really good time of rest for them. They have a graduating senior, one son getting married. Um, it's just a good chance for them to get away. So be praying for them. I'm also just really thankful to Dan and the elders that you trust me to handle God's word. And... Uh, I'm excited about today. I know I say that every time I preach, but people, I'm really excited about this one because I think the question we're addressing today is central to scripture. It is the one central question that everybody in their lifetime needs to answer. And how you answer this question will determine how you live your life. Also, how you answer this question is gonna impact you, it's gonna impact your marriage, it's gonna impact your kids, it's gonna impact your workplace, it's gonna impact generations that come after you, and it's gonna impact your eternal destination. That's how important and central this question is. So before I get into it, I just want to take a minute and pray. I, I just want to pray that the Holy Spirit would really work uh, during these next minutes today. So would you pray with me, please? Father God, today, March 3rd, God, I pray that you would move on the hearts of the people in this room, those watching online, God, that your Holy Spirit would do a work far beyond anything that people could do. God, speak to us today. Let us quiet our hearts and open our ears. God, speak and be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. You know, before I get into, you know, today's message, I want to tell you a story. Um, you know, several months ago, four or five months ago, I was traveling across North Africa and the Middle East with Leroy Ramsey, and we were in one country working with some church planners and some pastors, and we had a translator. Uh, he was a gentleman a little bit older than me. I mean, you know, full of life and vigor and, you know, all those things, um, awesome man. And he asked us a question at lunch on the second day. You know, we're having a plate of rice and cabbage, and he goes, do you guys know the history of the church in this country? And I was like, well, I know a little bit. And I said, so what do you mean? He goes, well, back in the 80s, it was much different. People were so antagonistic to the gospel. He goes, you know, Christians, we were getting thrown in jail. We were getting beaten. We were getting thrown in prison. Many were being martyred for their faith. And then he leans in and he goes, man, I miss those days. <laughs> I, that was my response too. It's kind of like, I, I was taken aback. It's like, what do you mean you miss those days? He goes, Steve, faith was so real and so tangible. He goes, it, there was a cost to following Christ. You, you had to be all in if you were gonna be a Christ follower. 
And then a couple hours later, we had our, our 19 yeah, pastors and church planners. You can see them in this picture here. And uh, we had to blacken out their faces and you'll understand why in just a second. So we were going around and they were just telling us a little bit about their ministry. And the man in the top left, he said, you know, I work in a neighboring country that hates Christians. He goes, if they find out what I'm doing, they'll kill me. And he goes, but it's worth it. And so I came back from this trip for the last four or five months. I've really been ruminating on this. What would give people the conviction to live faith that way? And what God's really put on my heart and revealed to me, it's because of how they would answer this one question. And it's the question we're gonna look at today. And you know, in our life, we're, we, we get millions of questions. You know, Carrie and my wife and I, we have five kids. We've answered and been perplexed by all sorts of questions. Questions like, did Adam and Eve have belly buttons? You know, some of you, by the time you get home tonight, you'll be like, oh, now I get why that's a tough question. You know, Dan, you'll hear Dan several times during the year ask this question. Why would we not give Marshawn Lynch the ball at the one yard line? Dan's gonna take that question to the grave. You know, for me in my generation, one of my favorite questions is, what is the average airspeed velocity of an unladen swallow? See, and some of you aren't laughing, and some of you are like, well, do you mean African or European? Um, so if you're a Monty Python f- fan, now, if you're like, I have no idea what you're talking about, you just gotta trust me, it's funny, okay? Well, I think it's funny. But as a former teacher, I taught high school English for 20-some years, um, when I had my ninth graders, you know, we would, we would read through To Kill a Mockingbird, and the question I always like to ask my ninth graders What is the symbolism of Atticus Finch shooting the dog Tim Johnson as it made made its way down the streets of Maycomb? And then my AP kids, we'd go through Grapes of Wrath, and the question is, the turtle crossing the highway, how does that a parallel for the Joads traveling from Oklahoma to California? And my favorite book to teach Catcher in the Rye, why would Holden Caulfield wear this red hunting hat throughout the entire book? Now, here's what's funny. Standing up here, some of you are like, this is triggering some really bad memories of high school English. Remember those days where it's like, "Uh uh-oh, I didn't read the book. I know teacher's calling on me. And some of you high schoolers are like, that was my take-home question. Can we just talk about that today? (laughs) No, okay. Um, But, you know, questions also get really serious. I think about my youngest daughter. A year ago, her boyfriend asked her, will you marry me? You know, we go through life, you know, asking those questions. Who am I? Why am I here? Why is there pain in the world? What's my purpose in life? What happens after I die? You know, there's all sorts of questions. But today, we're going to tackle one question that Jesus asks. And like I said, I think this question is central to this entire book. So if you have your Bibles or your phones or You want the easy way? It's gonna be on the screen behind me. Go to Mark chapter eight. Now, Mark chapter eight, if you're new to the Bible, you know, I just don't wanna make the assumption all of you know anything about the Bible. 
We're, we're in the second half, which is the New Testament, which is like the birth of Jesus to the founding of the church, you know, about 70, 80 years. We're in the Gospel of Mark. There's four Gospels, which are accounts of Jesus' life, and this is the second one, Matthew, Mark. And so we're in Mark chapter eight. Mark chapter eight, and it says this. Jesus and his disciples left Galilee and went up to the villages near Caesarea Philippi. As they were walking along, he asked them, who do people say I am? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say you're one of the other prophets. Then he asked them, who do you say I am? And Peter replied, you're the Messiah. And that's the question, who do you say I am? That we're gonna talk about today and how are you gonna answer that question? And the question is not, who's Jesus to you? Because we're, we're not talking about in a culture that truth is totally subjective and you just find your own truth and you do you. No, we're talking about who is the historical, biblical Jesus. And this is the question that every person has to answer is who do you say that Jesus is? You know, C.S. Lewis, uh, who wrote uh, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe and Chronicles of Narnia and Screwtape Letters and Mere Christianity, he calls this question the great trilemma of God. The great trilemma, that there's really only three ways that you can answer the question, who do you say I am? When you look at the question, but who do you say I am? You're the Messiah, Peter says. So first, before we look at, you know, who do you say Jesus is, we need to first figure out who is Jesus. You know, I don't, I don't wanna make that assumption. It's like, I have no idea who you're even talking about. Well, as we look at this book, let me walk through some things with you of who Jesus is. You know, first, Jesus is God. If you go to John chapter one, it says, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. And the word became flesh. God became flesh and dwelt among us. When Jesus was born, they said, you shall call him Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus is God. Second, Jesus is the creator. Jesus is not a created being, he is the creator. You know, in Colossians it says, by him and through him all things were made. In John it says, all things were made that were made through Jesus, he is the creator. You know, the third thing it says, he's the perfect sacrifice. Because we have sinned, what we need is a perfect sacrifice to pay the price, to pay the penalty of our sin. And so in John 1, in verse 29, when John the Baptist baptizes Jesus, he says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then the heavens opened up, and God says, behold, this is my Son with whom I am well pleased. He is the perfect sacrifice. You know, in 2 Corinthians it said, he made him who knew no sin to become sin so that we could be made right with God. Jesus is the perfect sacrifice. Jesus is without sin. He is unblemished. He is the perfect sacrifice. You know, Jesus is the Messiah. Just like Peter said, who do you say I am? You are the Messiah. He is the promised one that for hundreds of years they were saying the Messiah is coming. And he came 2,000 years ago. 
in the person of Jesus to fulfill what scripture had said. Jesus is the healer. You know, throughout, throughout scripture, Jesus made the lame walk. He made the blind see. He made the deaf hear. He made the dead breathe. That's the Jesus that we serve, the Jesus that can heal every hurt that you have, every emotional pain you have. That is the Jesus we're talking about. Jesus is the healer. Jesus is the resurrection. In John, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who lives in me, though he dies, will live forever. Jesus is the resurrection. And then the last one, it says, Jesus will return. And that's the promise. Jesus will come back for his bride. And his bride is the church. It's us. And Jesus promises that, that he's gonna come back. So if that's who Jesus is, you know, back to C.S. Lewis's comment, who do you say that Jesus is? And there's really... You know, he calls it the trilemma, that there's three possible answers. So, if Jesus, is, is he who he is? First, his, he could be false. His claims could be false, which is a very realistic thing when you talk about it logically. Second, his claims could be true. Now, I know in a room this size and people watching this may say, you know, I don't even think Jesus lived. I don't even think he was a real guy. Well, you know, nobody questions whether Shakespeare lived. You know, but there are 30 times more pieces of evidence that Jesus Christ lived, died, and was resurrected, written by Christians and written by non-Christians. So it's not just the Christians trying to come up with this scheme. Non-Christian people that lived in that time, it's like, yeah, I know Jesus was a real guy. He did what he said he was gonna do. So if, if that's your logic, it's really a foolish piece of logic to say he never lived. You're, you're really, your two answers are gonna be this. His claims are false or his claims are true. Now, if his claims are false, one argument is Jesus knew they were false. If Jesus knew they were false, then Jesus is a liar, which is one arm of this trilemma. Jesus could be a liar. He's intentionally trying to deceive people. The other response, if his claims are false, is Jesus didn't know. If he didn't know, then Jesus is a lunatic. He's crazy. It'd be like if you went down to Starbucks down at the end of Barker and a guy there saying, I'm Jesus. Well, first of all, he's not, okay? So you can put your mind at rest. He's not. That guy's either a liar or he's crazy. He's one or the other. But if Jesus' claims are true, if they're true, then he's the Lord. And that's the trilemma. Jesus is either a liar, a lunatic, or the Lord. Now, if he's the Lord, you have two responses that you can make. You can reject that. You know, when we're done, you can get up, you can walk out of here and say, yeah, he's Lord, but I'm not gonna follow him. Or you can accept it and begin to follow Jesus. You know, and Jesus addresses this exact thing as we continue on in Mark chapter eight. In verse 31, it says, then Jesus began to tell them that the Son of Man must suffer many terrible things and be rejected by the elders, the leading priests, the teachers of the law. He would be killed, 
but three days later, he would rise from the dead. That's the gospel. Sometimes people are like, what is the gospel, the good news? The gospel is just that, that Jesus lived, he suffered, he died, and he rose again. So Jesus told the disciples, that's what's gonna happen. Now, here's the amazing thing. When Jesus said that, when he said, who do you say I am? Prior to that, Jesus had already fed the 5,000. He had fed the 4,000. He had healed the lame man. He healed the leper. He had walked on water. He had calmed the storm before any of this, these questions have ever asked. And yet he asked Peter, who do you say I am? And when he says, you're the Messiah, then it's the question, so what do you do with that? And that's the question I wanna pose to you. If you're saying, yes, I think Jesus is who he said he is, now what? And I know in a room this size, a lot of you came in here not as followers of Jesus. But let's see what Jesus says. In Mark chapter eight, I'm in verse 34 now, it says, then calling the crowd to join the disciples, he said, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it, but if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your soul? Is anything anything worth more than your soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? And that's what Jesus says. He's inviting you today to follow him. Those of you that have never put your faith in Jesus today, March 3rd, 2024, Jesus is saying, would you follow me? I am the one that knit you together in the womb. I am the one that breathed the stars into place and put the planets into motion. And I am saying, Stop running, it's time to come home to Jesus. And Jesus isn't saying, hey, I'll be your co-pilot, your buddy, your homeboy, your Jesus, take the wheel, it's none of that. We're talking about the Jesus of scripture, the one who said, I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the lamb of God, yet I'm the lion of the tribe of Judah. I am the first and the last. I'm the one that is saying, I made you, and I want relationship with you, and I'm saying today, would you follow me? Would you follow me? It's time to stop running, to stop doing it your own way, to experience the life that Jesus has for you, to come to the end of yourself and say, yes, Lord, I wanna follow you. And in a few minutes, I'm gonna give you a chance to do just that. Like I said, this is the question that's gonna determine how you live your life and it's the question that's gonna determine where you're gonna spend your eternity, is how you answer today's question. And I'm gonna give you a chance to put your faith in Jesus, but I, I wanna explain, you know, it's just like Jesus says here, is anything worth more than your soul? I, I wanna tell you what, what it is you're committing to. I wanna, I wanna tell you a little bit who is Jesus and why is this important? In the Bible, in the beginning in Genesis, God made us for a relationship with him. And when he created us in the garden, he said, it is good. It was perfect. 
It's how he intended it to be. But then we sinned. And our sin, what it does is it separates us from God. Because God is holy, he will not have sin in his presence. Like scripture says, you know, I've sinned and you've sinned. You know, in Romans it says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. In 1 John it says, if you say you have no sin, you deceive yourself and the truth is not in you. We've all sinned. And, and the question is, so what's that mean? Well, in Romans it says, the wages, the result of sin is death. Eternal separation from God. That's what we deserve. We deserve to be eternally separated. But then Jesus comes into the story, and this is where the story gets good. Because Jesus says, in, well, in Romans it says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It says, though your sins are like scarlet, I'll make them white as snow. You know, and some of you are coming in here, some of you are watching, saying, but Steve, there is no way that God could forgive me. You don't know what I've done. You don't know the pain I've caused and the hurt I've caused people. There, could God really forgive that? Yes, he can. And yes, he will. Because that's the God we serve. It's about grace. It's about grace that's given to us. It says you're saved by grace through faith, not of yourselves so that no man can boast. It's not what you do. It's what Christ did for you and he's offering that to you. It's like 1 John, the second half of that verse. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So by following Jesus, that's what, that's what we're accepting. His forgiveness on the cross for our sin and we are changing from following my way to following his way. And I know this, without a shadow of a doubt, after my last breath on earth, my next breath is gonna be in the presence of God. And God's gonna ask me, Steve, why should I let you in? And what's gonna happen, it's gonna be like Jesus is gonna step in front of me. His righteousness, what God's gonna see is Christ's righteousness on me. It's called imputed righteousness. And because of that, God's gonna say, come on in. Come to this place, no more tears, no more sadness or sorrow. This is what I've designed you for, to be in relationship with me. And the next part of that verse in 1 John, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. If we confess our sins, he'll forgive us. And then it says this, and this is the testimony. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. And so today is your day. Today's your day to say, I'm gonna follow Jesus. I've been doing this my own way. And I'm gonna invite you to do something. It's gonna be a little bit courageous on your part. You know, when Billy Graham would preach to the crowds, you know, he would ask them to come down onto the football field. You know, my wife did that in 1982 at Joe Albee Stadium when Billy Graham was here and put her faith in Jesus. For me, I sat at a cafeteria table at CV High School as Daryl Stavros presented the gospel to me, and I followed Jesus. So I'm gonna ask you to do something courageous today. And this, this is just you and God. This isn't because your wife's nudging you like, come on, it's about time. You know, it's not that. This is you saying, God is speaking. 
God has shown me that I, it's time for me to follow him. I need to quit running and doing it my own way. And so I'm gonna pray for you, but I wanna know who I'm praying for. And so in a minute, I'm gonna ask you to stand. If you're saying, I'm not a follower of Jesus, but today I wanna put my faith in Jesus. I accept him as the king of kings. I repent for my sin. What he did on the cross, I accept it, and it's my intention to follow him the rest of my days. And it, it, it take, it's a little bit courageous to have to stand. Now, some of you, maybe you've been coming to this church for years, but you know you're not a follower of Jesus. That's okay. Coming to church doesn't make you a Christian. Following Jesus is what makes you a Christian. It, there is no shame or guilt or anything if you stand up and people are like, man, they've been working in the cafe for three years. That's okay. We want you to follow Jesus, okay? And as you stand, I think of what Scripture says. It says, he who confesses me before man, I too will confess him before the Father. You're, you're making a declaration of faith saying today, March 3rd, today's my day. I'm gonna follow Jesus. So if that is you, right now I'm gonna ask you to stand right where you are and I'm gonna pray for you. So if that's you putting your faith in Jesus today, I want you to stand right now. Amen, amen, sister, amen, 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 I see you, amen, brother, amen, amen, right on, and it, okay, praise the Lord, because that's what the Holy Spirit does, the Holy Spirit is gonna draw people, and I love the fact we're, we're going like this, like, oh, that's a golf clap, we're talking about people that are putting their faith in Jesus, that are gonna spend eternity with us, amen, that's an awesome thing. So keep standing. Let's pray because, you know what? We're super excited. It says even the angels rejoice uh, when this happens and there's a party going on. Okay, let's pray. Jesus, Father, you see these people and you've loved these people from all along. And God, right now, I just pray just where they're at, they would pray something just silently to you like this. There's no magic words but Father, something like this. Jesus, I'm a, I admit, I'm a sinner in need of a savior. I've been trying to do this on my own, but today I choose to follow you. God, I accept what you did on the cross and you are who you say you are. You're the king of kings. And today, Write my name in the Lamb's book of life. So when I stand in heaven, your righteousness will let me in. And we give you praise today in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, you guys. Amen. Amen. Now, church, that's awesome. Now, I also know there's, there's, there's a couple of you probably, it's like, oh, I should have stood. I should have stood. I should stand. No, I shouldn't. Yes, I should. No, I shouldn't. I don't want to embarrass myself for whatever your reason. Hey, you, you can still stand while we're worshiping this song. Maybe when you get home and your head hits a pillow, it's like, God, that's right. You are the, who you say you are. I'm going to follow you. So we invite you to do that. Now, those of you that stood, I want to give you three next steps. Here's three things I would encourage you to do. One, tell somebody. Tell somebody. You know, if you don't know 
If you came by yourself, you know, tell anybody with a lanyard on. I know this church, our church loves really, really well. Tell anybody that's in the church. If nothing else, tell the person stand, sitting behind you because they saw you stand, okay? They know you stood. Um, second thing is get baptized. As you look at the New Testament, when people put their faith in Jesus, the next step was they got baptized. You can do that today, we have clothes here. But here's what I would invite you to. Invite your friends or family to come as a witness to them, as an encouragement to them. Because baptism isn't what saves you. Following Jesus is what saves you. All baptism is is a public declaration saying, I'm a, I'm a follower of Christ. Maybe you wanna wait and get baptized on Easter. We'll have baptisms on Easter Sunday on Resurrection Day, like Zach said, in just a couple weeks. Maybe you wanna do it then. Bring your friends and family with you. And then the third thing is do life with somebody. Get in a relationship. Get in a student group, a men's group, a women's group, a life group, or something. Okay, get in a spiritual partnership. Start walking this journey with somebody. Church, this is good stuff. Praise the Lord. There's people that wanna put their faith in Jesus and follow him. Now, for those of you that have been following Jesus, you're not off the hook. Buckle up, because we got several weeks of, of dealing with now what? What does it mean to follow Jesus? What does it mean to say that he is the King of Kings? What does it mean to say that he is the Lord and I follow him as Lord and to make him Lord of your life? And so we're gonna be dealing with some of those questions over these next few weeks. But today, we're gonna celebrate the life that Jesus just brought to these people. Let's stand and worship.